Hello, and welcome to the Green Team of the Legendarium, the weird little spinoff podcast where patrons of the Legendarium cover books and topics the main crew hasn't gotten around to yet. I'm Little Red Book, and tonight I have with me our floppy-eared friend, Colonel Rabbit. Hello. And we also have with us our mustachioed member of the main crew, Todd Winty. Greetings. We'll be discussing the first two novellas in the Pendrick and Desdemona series by Lois McMaster Bajold. These novellas take place between Hollowed Hunt and Curse of Chalion. It follows a young man on his way to his betrothal feast who stumbles upon a dying temple sorceress. He accidentally finds himself in possession of her demon. Hijinks ensue. Before we get started, what are your overall impressions of these stories? Todd! I, I got a kick out of them. I get it being used to the world of the the world of the five gods. I was anticipating a, a, a significantly more serious minded uh, entry. And these were just fun. I had a good time reading them. <laughs> Laughed a lot. Yeah, I <laughs> I have to say every time I read a pen and Penrick and Des novel, I, I will have a smile on my face probably like 50 percent of the time. <laughs> I think that this is really where um, Bajold shows her comedic chops. Yes. And uh, they they have some serious moments. But they're just, like you said, they're just so much fun. Pin has this really old demon that has like 10 women, a mayor and a lioness, and they're all in his head talking. <laughs> and it's compared to a council of older sisters that yeah. harass him and nag him <laughs> but also play mean pranks on him at times so, so funny yeah mm-hmm. it's so funny this is this world of the five gods so there's a, a lot of um deus ex machina are you guys okay with that sure yeah. i mean for for first of all it's one of the best theologies in fantasy that i've read so, like, if, if you have that theology, of course, use it. The, the one thing that I have found very interesting on this is that uh, even the demons uh, who supposedly come from hell uh, are, are overseen by a god that is really quite approachable. Uh, <laughs> get a kick as out of the As approachable bastard. as the gods are. <laughs> well, yeah. they may not find them approachable, but everybody else seems to not have, you know, they're... they're they're in awe and they're they're somewhat nervous about it, but uh, these are not these are not gods that um, they're they very reminiscent of uh, the the idea of deities from the Belgariad. Um, they mm-hmm. are uh, they are approachable. They are they are as human, uh, but mostly beneficent uh as any as any other characters they just happen to have supremely advanced powers and the wise sense to not meddle in earthly affairs any more than absolutely necessary i really have enjoyed them um it's not even so much that they they're limited also so they are um they need a human being to act through Mm -hmm. which i really like Mm mm-hmm because I think I think that if you take the concept of God, any God, seriously, you realize that we are that the only way God really does act in the world is through us, if that makes sense. Yeah. 
I don't want to get too super religious. I find it, um, but I do find the theology pretty Catholic in its sense. Yeah. I don't know that Bajold is a Catholic, but it does feel very informed by Catholicism. Uh, yeah, certainly, certainly a, um, certainly a medieval, uh, Catholicism. Um, but, but a little less, um, it feels a little less repressed, uh, if I may, (laughs) if I may use that phraseology, um, without being, (laughs) without trying to be, uh, uh, condescending or rude or, or insensitive or any, any, any of those kinds of things. Uh, but I, but I find it very approachable, a very approachable, uh, deification system. Yes. <laughs> so how do you feel about how these stories deal with exposition? Do you ever, so what I'm getting at here is, do you ever feel like Captain Exposition shows up? If you know what I mean. Like, you know, you have this character and he just, Because I feel like she does it very well. Like it's told, the exposition, the what's going on is told in little vignettes and little stories that are natural conversation. Yeah. Maybe this I, is just something I should cut. <laughs> no, it's like, well, so the one thing I noticed is that unlike what she usually does, there's a few points in these stories where she actually does out of POV narration. Where she'll tell a story that of, about something like None, the, not the POV character won't know, and it's just it's just as an exposition for readers, and that allows her to kind of out like some of that uh, filler stuff, like you would see like a character having to explain things they already know, or creating an actual conversation just to explain the things that the readers need. Yeah, for me, the one thing that um, the, the the time that that becomes the time that I find myself criticizing that the use of that tool. Is if it pulls me out of the out of the flow of the read, and while you know, like you were saying, Rabbit, where there are a couple of places where she does that, they did not feel so egregious or so off-putting that they pulled me out of the story. They felt like they were a, a woven part of the story. That um, you know, so and so's it almost felt more like so and so's remembering some bits of pieces of they that they'd heard somewhere along the line and you need to know this for the future but let's go back to the story real quick um kind of like the mm-hmm. the uncle in uh princess bride uh played by yeah. peter falk you remember that mm-hmm. that's a lot how those felt yeah and it really works well because so many of the point of view characters are scholars or knowledgeable people so those kind of stories being in their back brain makes a lot of sense it's kind of the same with um, even the way Des and Penn interact at the very beginning. Like, Des is kind of the scholar, and Penn's this poor kid who <laughs> just ended up with a demon. Um, mm-hmm. And it just works really well. So, okay, these are really short stories. Um, the first two books are Penn's Penrick's Demon and Penrick and the Shaman. And we're going to just. St- start out with like when we introduce each story we're just going to do spoilers because they're really short yeah agreed okay Okay. and there's not too much to spoil either (laughs) a young man finds himself possessed and is sent to martin's bridge and the local wrangler of sorcerers isolated and confused he discovers that his newly acquired demon speaks in the voices 
of 10 women, a lioness, and a mare. Her name, he names his demon, and he begins learning from her. He finds himself kidnapped by kidnapped for Desdemona, only to escape and find himself ambushed by the saint. In the end, he makes a deal with the bastard, both to serve him and Des. So, what do you guys think about the concept of uphill versus downhill magic? Rabbit, you go uh, first. <laughs> I, I, very nice form, formalization of a common concept in both life and fantasy. It's easier to destroy than it is to create. Uh, I, and I love how much like of all of Bujolt's magic in this world is just kind of based on like almost like folklore. It's like things, intuitive truths about the world that people mm-hmm. kind of understand. And this fits really well into that. Yeah, I had a, so this weekend I, I went for a, a long walk with a longtime mentor of mine uh, and we discussed magic systems at length. Uh, and when I say at length, I mean about eight miles of walking of magic systems. Uh, and one of the things that we talked about was the idea of how much energy it must take to do certain things. Bringing things to greater organization versus making things more chaotic, breaking them down. Uh, and so this idea of uphill or downhill magic fit very nicely into that. We, As we were talking about it, I, I found myself thinking very much about Desimona saying, oh no, that's very easy to do. That's just, that's just downhill magic. I don't have to worry about that very hard at all. As she kills off fleas all over the place. <laughs> it was quite delightful. And you even get some of that in um, The Hallowed Hunt, where uh, Helena says, if I don't leave soon, I'm going to have to start in on the mice, and I like mice. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, I, so I love the scene where she's destroying the poison in his mouth, and he has to swallow it anyway. Yeah. <laughs> and then, so he gets kidnapped by a priest and his brother, who want to steal Desde- Desdemona by killing him. And then she turns the knives into rust. Mm-hmm. It's so great. It's such a fun scene. And uh, then she lights the whole castle on fire. And like Rabbit said, it's easier to destroy. And yes. uh, I actually never quite thought about it that way. So thank you, Rabbit. You gave me a new yeah. insight. <laughs> You're so smart. <laughs> and How do you guys, uh, so what do you guys think about the interactions between Dez and Penn? What not to love. (laughs) (laughs) They're so great. They're so great. When he names her, it's such a touching moment because Mm -hmm. she's like, they just call me demon. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting too, because it gives, you know, the, the idea that there are multiple voices and I guess voices works for me very, very easily. Uh, Multiple voices that he is hearing but he can separate them all, and he needs a name. Uh, this idea of personification, it changes the relationship between them in a way that probably, uh, if he had gone through the effort of being schooled first, probably rule one is never name your demon. And <laughs> Something like that, for sure. <laughs> well, and he does it right off the bat. It's, it's not necessarily rule one, but it's like... If you, it, all of the the language about talking about demons is about rider and mount. It's about talking right. about them like an animal. Like yeah. they're they're just a beast 
to, to work with, not, not a partner. Any but... wonder, then, that they become angry and ascendant and take over yeah. you? <laughs> and I, I think that's part of uh, what T Tigni shows a counterpoint for, is just, yeah. he just treats the demons like tools. And of course, Tigni's um, a tool. Yes. <laughs> and Des even calls him um, a demon destroyer because he did something stupid and lost his demon. And yeah. She just yeah. holds it. What do you, you want to bet that he just cheated it poorly and demon's right. like, I don't want to deal with this? I also like how they kind of, especially as the series goes on, they leak into each other. Yeah. So um she gives him language. Uh she and knowledge. And <laughs> like the scene where she gives him directions <laughs> and the whole the daughter's guards are really yeah. super confused. She's like, no, yeah. just turn this way and then this way. <laughs> and then he does things like he takes a bath, he brushes his hair, he makes mm -hmm. himself look nice, he wears nice clothes. And it just brings her pleasure that her, the way he takes care of himself. So they take care of each other. Mm -hmm. And it's just delightful how you have this sweet, innocent young man. He just wants to help. He ends up with a demon. And then he just wants to help the demon. <laughs> and it's so sweet. He's a, he's a good kid. Yes. He is a good kid. Um, he reminds me very much. I have a I have a son currently on a on a mission for my for our church in Zimbabwe, and as I'm reading the story, I can totally see my son, little blonde hair. He's also blonde, completely trying to figure out stuff, and he's like, "Yeah, I I don't know, I don't really know what I'm doing yet, but I'm having a good time at it." <laughs> yeah, and I can see this very innocent. 19 year old going through all of these experiences it it, it i and maybe maybe that's me being sentimental but it it felt very much i could see my son in all of this going on hopefully my son doesn't have a demon inside him but you know other than that i can't imagine you being sentimental at all todd that does not sound like you <laughs> well let's be fair this this podcast might not get me sentimental because there's there's nothing to cry about <laughs> uh oh i did cry i did cry once which i totally forgot about but that's in the next story so uh any we'll other wait. thoughts and just what we'll wait to talk about i don't know if i'll cry i cried while i was reading it uh any other thoughts you want to add just to the general discussion before we get into quotes so I want to go back a little bit to to uh, Bujold's uh, sense of humor and her ability to weave it seamlessly. I loved how this first story kept coming back to cheese. Um, yes. Pen gets sent off on this this expedition and she says, well, I'm not going to marry you, but here's a wheel of cheese. And he's like, oh, well, thanks. He goes to he goes to what is it? Middlebridge or whatever. And and. And they're exporting silk. And he says, well, it's probably better than exporting cheese. I mean, everything keeps coming back to cheese in this story. I was like, did she give herself a challenge that she has to, she has to weave cheese through this whole thing? I, it made me chuckle every time it was brought up. Yeah. She is so funny. Um, 
there's a, I think the thing that you're referring to is that um that they export soldiers and there's riches of the exporting soldiers but as much riches for the soldiers as for the cheeses yep yeah and at the dinner uh when he's kidnapped he's like thank god it's meat instead of cheese <laughs> <laughs> over and over again <laughs> you know just going back to the very beginning of the story i feel so bad for pen he's like just this he was just like, hey, I'm going to marry this sweet girl and I'm going to do right by my family. And then he is completely cut, cut off from human contact, like physically anyway. And that. The way it's handled in the story is pretty lighthearted, but the idea that he his whole life is. Going one direction. I mean, he even says, uh, she's like, I don't want to marry a man who can light me on fire. And he's like, I wanted to light you on fire with kisses. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's kind of funny and sad, and it's just very sweet. Um, mm -hmm. But I do feel bad for him. He even at one point mentions that nobody has touched him. And, I, and that's such an important part of human, like just giving somebody a hug is so important to human beings yeah. were just designed for that so mm -hmm. that's, yeah, that's that, part of what makes you like him so much is that he takes all that and just tries to make the best out of it yeah yeah for sure so uh favorite quotes favorite scenes uh one of one that i found it, it was one that i had marked but it also i also found it uh as I was going through and, and looking, I often go to Goodreads and see if they found, if people have similar quotes that I had marked. Uh, and one of them was the one where he said, sorcery had certainly not been on Penn's former list of scholarly ambitions, but neither a theologian, divine physician, teacher, lawyer, or any other high trade <laughs> out there. <laughs> this poor kid, he's like, yeah, well, okay, I'll take this one. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I have. I think I have the the obvious capstone quote of the the book at the very end, like almost almost the last line when they're talking about uh, Pen is asking Des if she wants to go with him to seminary school, and she says, "You looked a God in the eyes and spoke for me. There's nothing in my power I would ever refuse you after that." Yeah, yeah, that was good. I do think also the uh, the old man, the the old crotchety the dude with the, the gray hair that's yeah. that sat it's in the, the back of the room. Uh, yeah. The one where he said, "Well, I think Cleve has has stopped lying," and he's and the guy looks up and he's like, huh, and looks back yeah. down. Uh, he was a, he was a, came in very briefly, but a great character. All, great all of the yeah, saint characters and like the side magical characters, like Helena in uh, Hollow Hunt, isn't another great side. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, the the audiobook Grover Gardner just did his voice so well. <laughs> he did. It was really quite well, really quite well done. By the way, I want to say that Grover Gardner is one of my very favorite. Yes. audiobook readers he is amazing 
Agreed. And some sometimes I will turn on books that he reads to go to sleep to because I just love his voice. I'll turn it way down so I can just hear like his voice, but not really understand. And anyway, he puts me to sleep. Awesome. So hopefully he's uh, listening and he hears that as a high compliment. Oh, I'm I, yeah. I mean, I guess if he's you could listening, say I, he's found two fans for life. <laughs> I mean, I've even fallen asleep to the stand because he reads the stand. <laughs> wow. I guess you could say I sleep with Grover Gardner. There's anyway. no one to deny that or or contradict. So, okay. <laughs> um, I don't have a favorite quote, but I like the part when he um, confronts the god. Or the god confronts him. And he gets on his knees and he says, I just want to serve Des, Des and I want to serve you. And then as the, the saint's like, fine. The God won't take her. And Tig's all mad. And then he gets up and he's like, <laughs> he's walking towards the door and he says, that one lies and yeah. that one tells the truth. Yes. And by the way, <laughs> so you much. I'm yourself to the God's service. <laughs> <laughs> and Tig is just so mad. He's just sputtering. And the saint's like, yeah. good luck working this out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you know the saint is so done with Tigny. <laughs> <laughs> he's a I don't think he's a bad guy. He's just uh, he's a functionary. He's a perfect yeah. functionary. Yeah. He okay. he has not been taught that there's a better way to life. And he's never yeah. never realized it. He's a paper pusher. And he's probably a little bit bitter about the fact that he lost his demon. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Well, I and, and I would assume scarred by that too, right? Probably. Like he he's seen everything that can go wrong when a demon ascends. So mm -hmm. I mean, he would not want that right. to happen to a, a nineteen-year-old kid that just caught a demon out of chance. Right. Well, and the the interesting thing about Des is she has no desire to ascend because she <laughs> has seen demons removed by saints and so she's like i don't want any part of that i'd like to stay in this world please and thanks <laughs> yep yep moving on i'm once again gonna try to read a summary i wrote four years later full-fledged sorcerer divine penric is translating ruchia's medical text from one of the six languages he inherited from des in his comfy post as court sorcerer for the princess arch divine an investigator from the court or from East Home arrives to Martin's Bridge, seeking help to find a rogue shaman and possible murderer. Des is thrilled, Penn is intrigued, and they join the hunt. It leads them into the mountain passes where they discover the ghost of a dead shaman and their prey. Penrick hears Ingles's confession, helps him to rediscover his warped shamanic gift, and brings him safely back into the fold. So what do you guys think about the fact that we have three, but arguably four points of view instead of just one? I will say one of my favorite, I guess, literary tools in fantasy is seeing my favorite protagonists, main characters, whatever, from other people's point of view. 
<laughs> so seeing what Inglis and uh, Gray J think of Oswald. Penrick, yeah. Oswald, seeing what they think of Penrick, it's just is so fun. Yeah, the there's a there's a, a a maturity that we are given to understand that Penrick that Penrick has undergone, but that maturity, how much of that maturity is based on him living with a near two hundred year old demon? Uh, by the way, so un, so inappropriate to give away someone's age. I loved that moment. <laughs> that was a great it's, line. <laughs> that's rude to tell someone a woman's age, Penrick, and he's like, eh, whatever. Um, <laughs> But uh, there's there's a a maturity that shows up in him in surprising times and surprising ways, and when we see that from the other characters, they're like, "Well, okay, he's a kid. He gets on a horse real good." But wait a minute, where is this? Uh, where is this wisdom that he's supposed to have coming from? He's not very confident, and yet he gets all these. It's a it's a beautiful juxtaposition of uh, the innocence that he's trying to hang on to and still connected with because he's so young and the obvious wisdom that comes from having access to all of that extra information. And I don't think we'd be able to see it as clearly from inside as we do from outside. So that's been, that was a cool tool. Yeah. It, um, I like how, I mean, I even said earlier in the podcast, Desmond and Penrick are bleeding into each other from the inside. What you're hearing is a conversation. Which I love the conversation, by the way, that they have with each other. From the outside, they're like, how is he even pulling? He's pulling it out of his butt, they think. Yeah. You know, like, well, where is it even coming from? <laughs> alternatively, where is it coming from? And is he insane? <laughs> <laughs> that yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> that too, for sure. Um, I also really like, we basically have three mysteries going on. One is, the murder mystery, if you could call it that, or the missing person mystery. Then you have the mystery of um, Inglés. He's looking for a way to get out of his situation. And then you have the mystery of how are we going to fix this ghost problem that we have? And guess four, because how did we all end up together in this situation at this point? And I love it. I love it, love it, love it. Yeah, the, the the different um, and and each of the and each of the people are focused on their own solution. Penrick is the only one that is open to the moment. Everybody else has an agenda, and Penrick is like, "Yeah, well, um, you know, maybe we should stay here for an extra day. Maybe we should ask around. Maybe we should try a couple things." He's just he's very much. Uh, he's, I, I'm, I, that's, that's a, a, a skill that I am trying to develop a little more of being in the moment and not worry about agendas and all kinds of other things that are going to happen later. Everybody else seems to be focused on, no, we've, we need to be elsewhere quickly. And Penn's like, no, no, we really don't. I think we're good here. <laughs> we, we can all and, stand have a little more pen in our, in ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the way that Oswald uh, responds to it all the time with a glare, uh, it's just delightful. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it is. But I also like the explanation he gives for why he feels that way. Yeah. Which is that he was, they heard of some sorcery because they're discussing sorcery and, and 
he showed up too late and the town had already burned the woman. Uh Um, And that's his biggest fear is that he's going to be too late. Uh, So even though, even though you want to be like Penn, you can also understand why Oswald is the way he is. Like life is on the line. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of a really good way of dealing with exposition, that whole scene you get yeah through when, a natural conversation. Go ahead, Todd. Yeah. Oh, when he says when when Penn says he thought maybe he should encourage him, but then he decided to hold off. I I, I think all of us have been in those moments where we're listening to somebody and we're like, Can I help this along? I'll just wait. Um, mm-hmm. Very relatable. Very relatable. Yeah, and speaking of a great moment where you're inside Penn's head and Des is like, just shh. And you figure out why he seems so wise because Des is like, yeah, shut up or yeah, calm yeah. down. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've done this before, kid. Sit down, shut up. You'll be fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, um, the further you go in the series, the more um, bossy Des gets. <laughs> I in a lot that. of respects <laughs> I believe that in, in a good way <laughs> yeah yeah oh oh no I'm not going to spoil it later but <laughs> one, one of the things I do think that is very interesting about this novella is it's a good example of a story without a villain yeah it, all, all three main, main characters are protagonists and they're not even like uh, Tigney from the last one where they're like yeah you're technically good but you're not really doing anything helpful they're all working towards a good end and are good people yeah and the other thing I really like um, is Ingles it's just that he's really young and something really terrible happens through unfortunate events and he just panics Yeah, and but he's doing everything he can to keep his friend's ghost from being sundered. Yeah. He makes all the wrong decisions. But yeah, like you said, it's not because he's a bad person. He's just freaked out. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never been like that. But, you know. No, none out? of us have ever made mistakes in the moment. <laughs> <laughs> no, I have never panicked and done something stupid. It's just okay. Like, well, but I understand that other people do that. <laughs> I'm, I, I guess I'm the one that's left out because I will admit to having panicked and made really bad decisions in the past. Oh, yes. oh, yeah, me oh, yeah. as well. I'm For not sure. sharing any of them on the recording, though. So uh, that's ask. fair. That's fair. You can tell us off, off recording. I definitely would not secretly oh. record them and then put them out on the internet. <laughs> there you go. There you go. No, we, we, already, we already have our end of episode quip. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. Okay. Um, any other thoughts before we go into quotes? One of the things that, um, that I liked uh, about this book that was different from the other was there was a there was an earnestness about the village 
Um, we don't get a lot of time in the village. We don't get a lot of um, we don't get a lot of exposition about who's in the village. But there's this. Uh, I I and maybe it's just me because I'm adding things into it in my own head. But it felt like this was a village that really connected with each other. They helped each other. It's a it's a small town kind of a feeling. And when one of their own has these has difficulty, they just pull around and support. And so uh, uh, Galen, I guess, as the de facto temple uh, leader for all five, even though it's just a small small affair and small details and all these things, but they're they're right there to help out everything. It felt very much like a um, uh, uh, pastoral kind of a of a village where you know there even the even the town drunk is probably a really nice person. Um, it didn't feel at all uh, like it, it felt almost like Shangri-La or uh, Brigadoon. It didn't feel at all like a normal place. And I just was happy with that. It feels like Oswald was the only person in the place that was kind of grumpy and grouchy. It sounded like everybody else is just delightful. I want to go there. I want to if, if that's if that's a real place, I want to go. <laughs> I do, too. I do. Not. I mean, to be fair, there, there was the um, the the hunters who stole. Yeah, but they're not uh, really part of the village. True. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're the outsiders that come down and sell furs and go away. We can yeah, live yeah. with that. Yeah, <laughs> but the village itself. I like how Galen has been there for thirty years. I think it is a really long time. Although he has little kids, so that's weird. But he knows that does anybody remember the shaman's name? Uh, Squala. Squala? Squala, yeah. Squala? I don't know. Squala. (laughs) He knows that this dude is a hedge shaman. He knows he's not supposed to be technically doing what he's doing. Technically. But at the same time, he's like much more worried about this, this guy's soul than he is about whether or not everything he does is orthodox and further this guy kind of becomes his right hand he's the person we send out to uh deal with problems um he's a pillar of the community and he's so distressed that uh squala has been sundered and he just you know he he turns a blind eye to some of the less orthodox practices and i i enjoyed that part of the story yeah it was part uh, of what oh go ahead go ahead, go ahead Robert. i i almost wish that like we had actually we had gotten school uh, from beforehand we get a little bit uh from its ghosts but it's like all the little hints that you get from him make you really wish like he had some screen time at it alive yeah yeah um, <laughs> when he looks at Autumn, the son of Autumn, yeah. and he says, "It took you long enough to show up." Yeah. <laughs> Do you got good beer? <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And then the retort uh, that he gives him when he kind of hesitates and he starts moving toward the God of Autumn, and the God of Autumn looks at him and says, "Well, it took you long enough." Right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. I think that's all the main points I wanted to get to. 
Um, except for I do love the scene. I like one of the things I really enjoy about Oswald is when he's dealing with both um, Penrick and Inglis. Um, just his frustration because he he's just this normal person and he's dealing with this shaman and a sorcerer who are scholars and he's just like all the time like oh my gosh there they go again talking about this stuff I don't even know what they're talking about and he gets frustrated it's just anyway poor Oswald <laughs> he has a he's lot so, going on <laughs> he's so harassed <laughs> okay so uh, some quotes or moments that really stood out to you my favorite was uh, when Inglis is like trying to hedge and be like, ah, you guys can't possibly understand what I'm going through and what happened to my shamanic back. <laughs> and Penrick's like, Inglis, I've had a demon, like a demon living in my head for four years. She's 200 years old. And I'm going to keep having her in my head for my whole life. Try me. <laughs> that was a fun moment. It was great. So, um, the part where he's talking, uh, Inglis out of the temple and he's like, mm -hmm. he's like, you know, I have the law, the law's outside and Inglis is all freaked out. And Penrick says, no one is going to hang you on the spot. You know, not without all those judicial ceremonies. His order is so fond of. Everyone yeah. has to dress up. Everyone has first. to dress up. <laughs> Everyone has to dress up first. <laughs> I, I got a kick out of um, the moment where he says, uh, and I can't remember who he, I can't remember who he was speaking to. I think he was speaking to Inglis uh, when he says, you know, I, I just have a little difficulty with a God who accepts people whose last words were, hold my beer, watch this. <laughs> <laughs> All all the seminary school jokes are amazing in that part. <laughs> they they awesome. really are. <laughs> they were they were so much fun, and of course Oswald the whole time is glowering still. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's one about how. Um... Oh, never mind. I can't remember. It. I can feel it on the edge of my brain, but I can't remember it. So, you know, they're talking about how. Uh... whatever his name is that I can't say. Um, well, yes. Thank you. Is a great sold man. And Oswald said, I thought those were limited to Kings and generals. And Penrick says, no, those are just merely great men. Mm -hmm. They're not great sold men. So I just like, yeah. That. Yeah. It's called calling back to, I think it was curse Italian when that concept was first brought up. Yep. Not that Todd would know, because he's not cool like us. No, no. Uh, there's. I've been reading other things. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> I did get a kick out of um, the the weaving thread of uh, the fleas continuing to drop off. Uh, the one mm -hmm. moment where he says he wasn't sure he saw any fleas, but he could hear them falling on the ground. Right. <laughs> he's petting the kitten. And, and the dog. Yeah. Yeah. Or the sure. cat. The cat, yeah. 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 Um, so the last one is, last quote, actual quote, 
not my last thought, is um, from Inglis' point of view. And it says, in all of these mountains, he had been the most lost and the most rescued. And hadn't that, and sorry, i got moving post-it notes. And hadn't that been old Qualia's <laughs> and his band of dogs job? Hand yeah. to hand to hand throughout the generations. Yeah, it was a it was a beautiful kind of a sentiment. Mm. So this yeah. book did make me. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. The, the whole idea of the chain of shamans, basically putting their trust in each other, even though they don't know each other, is not like just your apprentice. You have to trust every other shaman that they would come to your the rescue of your soul if necessary. Yeah. So the there is a part that makes me cry in this. And it's the part where the father comes and visits Oswald in the middle of the night. And he says, you were not too late. Well done, my child. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and also, it's not going to snow. <laughs> it's not going to snow. Yeah. You got three, three days. days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this poor man who's been so um, so upset at this one failure and it's driving his whole life and his God comes to him and said, you are not too late, too late. Well done. And, you know, I hope I one day hear God say, well done, my good and faithful servant, (laughs) you know? So I don't know that. And he, and he, and he's so mundane or so mundane. That's not fair, but you know, he de- he denies it to himself until Penn's like, uh, Des is freaking out right now. There's definitely a God. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. One of those quotes, uh, that's, that's another of the quotes that I highlighted when he says, uh, do not deny the gods and they will not deny you. Dangerous habit, mind you. Once they start to, in, uh, start to let them through that first crack, they're worse than mice. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that's which, a callback. To Paladin of Souls. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> uh, I got a kick out of it. He's Henrik is so down to earth as a uh, he's far more down to earth than any other religious figure or most other religious figures that are portrayed in literature. And and Bujol does that beautifully throughout her entire series. We've mentioned that before, but that's a, so many, so many great moments for for Penrick in this book of doing that. And one of the things I really enjoy about um, Pen and Des is after all the heavy stuff with the first three books, it's just fun to have some fun. Yeah, <laughs> in this world, it's much more um, day in the life of than the other stories are. Yeah. You know, you're not dealing with a kingdom ending curse or an invasion of an army or uh, court politics that will decide the fate of a kingdom. It's just like, here's some people living in the woods. They need some help. And here's Penn and Des to the rescue. Yeah, I really enjoy that. Um, just so you know, uh, Todd, the next book we get to meet, or the three of them come back together and solve a oh. mystery. Yeah. Oh, fun. Yeah. 
It's a lot of fun. I might put that on my list and read it sometime after March. (laughs) Well, and we will patiently wait for you. (laughs) Oh, you're very kind. I appreciate that. Well, we're not going to wait for you to read it because we're going to read it ourselves, but we will wait to talk about it. I've already read it like three times. So So have I. (laughs) I I will not turn down an excuse to reread Penendez. I will not either. And I really won't have time until at least after January because I'm starting uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell with Megan and Chesky. Oh, yeah, that'll be fun. Yeah. And I'll also my side podcast. May I plug my own other podcast? Yeah. Okay. Also, I'm Allison on Word Less with Mark, and we explore short fiction in the science science fiction and fantasy genres. You can find us at Word Less, two words. Awesome. Okay. Any last thoughts? Maybe we can do ratings or just or last thoughts. If you want to. Uh, for the whole yeah. thing. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> we, usually, we usually do ratings. We, I did not ask for ratings. So, how would you rate these books out of five stars? I, I give these two four and a half out of five. Only because the other books in the series are better. So it's only four and a half because I know there's more it's better to come. That's kind of cheating, but okay. <laughs> what about you, Tom? I have to cheat somewhere. <laughs> um, I, I probably would give them, a, I'd probably give them a four. Uh, I don't very often give fives. I think even some of my favorite stuff I've never given, I wouldn't give a five to. Um, it's not because I don't find them uh, enchanting and delightful, but just because I, I think that there is, uh, there were, there was, I, I want more. And so maybe if I'm looking at them as an entire group, uh, when we get to the end of all of the Penrick and Desdemona material, maybe I'll change my mind. Uh, but in my opinion, four is a pretty doggone good rating. So, mm-hmm. Look, I've loved books that I've given two and a half to. So <laughs> I'll remember that. Uh, well, I mean, sometimes you're like, look, this is schmutt, but I like it. <laughs> uh, so I read Something from the Dark Side by Simon Green. It is a bad book. It is objectively a bad book. It is so much fun. I loved every second of it. it was... <laughs> Would you call Army of Darkness a good movie? No, but do you love every moment of it? Yes. <laughs> uh, at least every moment starring Bruce Campbell. So, there. yeah, pretty much the whole movie. <laughs> I would say I would give these a four and a half. I think that. If I really wanted to, I could find some pretty deep themes going on. Um, Mm -hmm. But I don't really want to because they're fun. Uh, So. I think uh, probably a... Go ahead. I was going to say, and like I said earlier, uh, a day in the life of this world as opposed to, you know, saving a kingdom. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Probably a better way to do an endorsement from me would be to say... So if, if you ask me what my top five favorite series are, I'd be like, okay, well, Penn and Des is on there. Now let me think about the rest of them. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's very, very, very cool. Very good. Very good. Yeah, so go read Penn and Des. Yes. I would suggest definitely, definitely reading um, 
Curse of Chalion and Paladin of Souls before reading these, but you could probably Agreed. skip Hallowed Hunt. I wouldn't because I love Hallowed Hunt, but <laughs> it's not as loved. And it's, it's, it's not the as worst. loved by me. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's the worst for all the five god books, but that does not make it a bad book. That's mostly it's because Ingray is annoying. <laughs> He's mopey. <laughs> He He's is a mopey, mopey bastard. <laughs> <laughs> but he has reason to be. So why why is Oswald okay, but in, in case? <laughs> well, I mean, you know who's not mopey? Kaz. Kaz is not mopey. <laughs> he has just Kaz as much is reason totally to be mopey. mopey. Oh, uh, I disagree. Whatever. <laughs> he just, he just has annoying. more characters bringing him about to the positive side. I guess whatever. <laughs> Todd is totally left out of this conversation now. Sorry about that. That's a good note. I'm, sitting here and I'm like, yeah, this this feels like Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> okay. So, thanks so much for joining us tonight. You can join the conversation on Reddit and Discord. We also are on Twitter at Green Team Pod. Please consider supporting the Legendarium via Patreon. The music is Galactic Damages by Jingle Punks. Thanks, Craig, for loaning us a little corner of your media empire. And for Rabbit and Todd, I'm Little Red Book. Good night, y'all. Bye. Say good night. Nice. <laughs> good night, Little Red. Where's my, where's my harmonica? I've got a harmonica here. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> we got their twitching pod. <laughs> oh, that's funny. Oh dear. Okay, now I have to figure out how to make these guys leave. <laughs> and then download. Oh, hey, that's Not easy. you I... guys. Craig Oh, Bogdan. I thought you were talking about us. <laughs> no. You'll never take me. <laughs>